dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country life is for me ride with us hpj ride Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hi, Jenny. Oh, we're finally back in the room together. (laughs) I've missed you. I've been here all week. (laughs) I know, but you haven't been in the room for the podcast for two weeks before that, and I missed you. Sorry. <laughs> You're my work buddy. Come on, don't do this to me. <laughs> Happy 2020. Yeah. Did you think we'd ring in a new decade? Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, honestly, in the back of my head, I didn't really think I'd ever make it to 2020. <laughs> Seemed like such a long ways away. <laughs> right? That's what I wrote about last week was, where the heck is my flying car? Yeah. <laughs> I was promised the space age. I'm not getting the space age. <laughs> Um, so how did how did you ring in the new decade? My oldest son wanted to stay up and watch the ball drop because he saw the commercial and they were talking about it on some morning show that we his dad was watching and he wanted to see the ball drop. And so his little brother didn't last past 10 o'clock. So <laughs> Sean and I camped out on the couch and tried to watch these horrible shows that... <laughs> The entertainers? Yes. Okay, they're did awful. You, did you notice that the entertainers in early on in the evening were people that were hot when we were in junior high and high school? <laughs> but slowly as the evening got like later and later, they replaced them with the newer ones. Nice. <laughs> I think it's because, I think that's a subtle hint that Dick Clark's production company doesn't think we can last until midnight. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't last until midnight. I woke up at 12.15 and... The ball was already down, and Sean was asleep, and so I made him go to bed and put the dogs to bed and went to bed myself. Dag nabbit. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I was sick, and so instead of going and spreading my germs to my fella and his kids, um, I stayed home, and I hugged my dog at 7.30 and called it good. (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year, Maggie Mayhem. Happy New Year. Yeah. Um. Man, there has been a lot in the news about agriculture lately. I, it's like all of a sudden we start 2020 and, you know, let's just dump on Ag Week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it started off last uh, last week, actually. Um, it was right before the Golden Globes Awards were going to be on Sunday on, on TV. And this is an award ceremony, one of many that Hollywood gives themselves. It's Hollywood Foreign Press, yada, yada. It's the precursor to the Oscars. Now, look, I kind of like watching those award shows, honestly, because I I kind of enjoy, you know, the glitz and the glamour and, you know, making fun of ugly outfits that somebody (laughs) somewhere has deemed that's an appropriate thing to wear in public. Um, You know, I'm human. That's what I like. But these folks made the announcement, Kayleen, that they were going to go vegan in the name of climate change. Now, as many people have mentioned... How many how many 
flowers were flown in from around the globe just for the centerpieces and and how many you know thousands of of pounds of of greenhouse gases did that emit in the air and how many of those people carpooled um, with their limos and how many of them took their private planes to the airport instead of taking commercial traffic i mean there were so many things and they chose to go vegan i i just kind of want to go really really people they're just so far removed from anything that has to do with anything. Oh, the latest was one of, was Stella McCartney was so proud of Joaquin Phoenix because he's getting to wear his same tux that she designed for all of the award ceremonies this year. He's not going to have a new tux for each ceremony. And that's really going to help the environment. <laughs> you know what? Fast fashion is a major contributor to greenhouse gases yeah. and climate change and the, you know, waste of our of our resources. Mm-hmm. Every time that we go into a store and we buy a $19 pair of jeans, man, that is that's like causing ripple effects in some other country somewhere that's got to take the the environmental hit for that. Mm-hmm. Um and and then we wear them for a season. And then we either throw them out or we, you know, give them away or they end up in a landfill. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it frustrates me. And I would almost guarantee it's because one of the impossible burgers or one of the the meat substitutes or fake meats or whatever we're calling them now. Um, I would almost bet that their PR people, Kayleen, had said, hey, if you do this announcement, we'll give you, we'll, we'll sponsor your dinner for, for all these people. I'm sure there was some sort of incentive. A quid pro quo. Because these people don't do stuff out of the goodness of their hearts. I just. <laughs> I have a hard time believing they do. I mean, look, normally I don't get on that bandwagon of, you know, beat the tar out of people and, and you know, everybody sharpen your pitchforks. Sometimes I'm, I'm usually in the live and let live, but I just get frustrated when, we're, we're screamed at to learn it, learn the science. And the science is beef cattle, livestock production actually recycles, recycles, um, methane in the, in the whole scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Whereas carbon, um, carbon belching (laughs) equipment and machinery and that sort of thing, those emissions don't get recycled. Yeah. There's, you just can't, eat your way out of a climate change or some sort of environmental issue. These cattle that my husband and I raise, they are on ground that cannot produce anything else but grass. The cattle take the grass, turn it into a product that consumers buy every single day. They are the ultimate upcyclers. Yes, they are. You know, the biggest fashion is, oh my gosh, the food waste. We've got to worry about the food waste. You know, one of the biggest things that we do is recycle food waste. Um, everything from feeding Skittles as part of a balanced yeah. ration. And I know that that people will think that's crazy. But Skittles take the place of molasses and a feed ration in, in some instances. It's a sweetener. Cattle need a little bit of sweet. Yeah. My, my sister's, um, her in-laws, they were feeding Dale bread or bread that they could get for free from the bakery that was here in town. And the cattle loved it. The horses yeah. even started eating it. It's, as strange as it sounds, I mean. It's taking something that has limited value and adding value to it. And that is what agriculture does. Yeah. Like back in the in the days where people would slop the hogs, they would take the kitchen stuff and have the compost pile. And I try to do the same thing because 
more often than not, my refrigerator turns into a science experiment <laughs> and I have do not have the heart to throw this food in the trash when I have farm cats that need something to eat for at least a day. And, it's, and we're not saying that that's the only thing that those animals no. eat. It's part of a ration. It's part of, I mean, they're still getting cat food. Yeah. You're just adding a little bit of the extra stuff that, you know what? Cats like that type of thing. Yeah. Um, dogs like that type of thing. They better like have iron stomachs to live in my house. Though. <laughs> hey, we fed scraps to our barn cats all yep. the time. And mostly it was dad's purview of, a fed barn cat does not is a useless barn cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> some of ours are. <laughs> they they don't do the job that they're supposed to do. <laughs> well, then we had then we had um, sixty minutes in Leslie Stall, and I am incredibly disappointed because I have been a sixty minutes watcher since before I could tell time. Okay, um, that was always a new show that was on every Sunday night in our household. It, it, it was just, it, it created the way I tell stories is by watching 60 Minutes and, and people like Leslie Stahl. Mm-hmm. So they did a piece on pork production and animal antibiotics use and it was, inc- it was a hit piece. I was so incredibly disappointed. Um, the National Pork Producers Council had said, hey, we gave them, what was it? 80 a- minutes. 80 it? minutes. 80 minutes. And they used two. On camera with Leslie Stahl and 60 Minutes producers used two minutes of that interview. Yeah. And instead, they go the tactic, uh, which is false, by the way. They went the tactic of, well, you know, animal antibiotics are, are killing us all, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I'm so frustrated by being told that believe the science, believe the science, believe the science, except when we want to get ratings and clicks. Exactly. And that was what that piece was about, Kayleen. That yeah. was ratings and clicks. That was a producer's somebody in in an earpiece saying, well, we need to have some traffic, so this will gin up some traffic. Yeah. My son raised 4-H pigs this year, or last year. He had two pigs. They weighed, what, what are they, 60 pounds when you get them? Yeah. And they end up, I don't know, two, 250, 280. Mm-hmm. We gave the one pig one shot because it got sick after we took it to a show mm-hmm. this was from march until july that was plenty of time for it to get out of the pig system and go into the into the um food chain food chain and now we're eating that pig my family and i we butchered that hog and we're eating it we had pork chops last night yeah. out of that pig i'm not afraid to eat it because the drugs were given correctly, the animal got better, and without the drugs, the pig would have died. You want, I mean, all these people that are screaming animal rights and and animal welfare and, you know, all of this, you know, you got to treat them right, you got to treat them right. What do you propose we do with sick animals? Yeah. Where do you go when you're sick? Do you go to the doctor? You know, do you take your drugs? Was was I supposed to get knocked in the head because <laughs> I had a chest cold that lasted seven days? No. And it was a virus, which you can't deal with, yeah. with antibiotics. So you just got to tough it out versus my neighbor down the road that goes to the hospital and gets an antibiotic for every single hangnail she gets. Yeah. Which does nothing but build up antibiotic resistance. Now, is there an antibiotic resistance in this country? Yes. Worldwide? Yes. But animal agriculture is doing its part. They've already started working on doing its part as far as you only use these tools 
when they are necessary mm-hmm. and when they are prescribed by a veterinarian. Yes. I mean, I can't go to the store anymore and buy, you know, a, a animal antibiotic off the shelf. Yeah, you have to have a, a script for it. Yeah. Can you go to the 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 um can you go to your pharmacy and get a a script from your pharmacist for penicillin with just over the counter? No. No. There are there are gatekeepers in place. And not only that, but the whole the whole well, there's gotta be something mistrustful because they won't let us into a barn. Look, it's called biosecurity. And if you've ever read anything about African swine fever mm-hmm. and how fast that, that can spread and decimate a country's pork population. Half the pork herd in China is gone. Yeah. And that's just in the last 24 months. Yes. In 24 months, half of that country's pork is gone. And it is spread to the European Union. It's spread beyond China's borders. Yeah. And there's countries that cannot control it. Yeah. So, yeah, we have biosecurity measures enhanced. And boy, howdy, if you're a 60 Minutes production crew, and I don't know where your feet have been, and what farm you've been on, and who you've been talking to, and and all of that, I'm not letting you in there. No way. You know what? That's how we keep them healthy. A lot of people don't really quite understand. Remember back in science class when you would um, start dissecting animals, and one of the things you dissected was a fetal pig? Mm-hmm. Do you know why you dissected a fetal pig? Because they have similar remarkable characteristics yes. to the human body. They're very close. They are. Which means we can get them sick, they can get us sick. Yep. And so that's why we have biosecurity measures in place. This is a very much an oversimplification of these things. And if you've got questions, you saw that 60 Minutes piece, or you saw the Golden Globes doing their their vegan whatever Come to us. Come ask us. Ask a farmer that you know. Ask more than one farmer that you know, mm-hmm. by the way. And if you don't know a farmer, you come and talk to us and we'll help you out. Yep. And go and talk to the National Pork Producers Council. Those people have spent lifetimes and full careers on one subject. I don't I don't know everything there is to know about one subject, do you? No, I sure don't. But they do. and there are they are more than happy to talk to you about that one subject there are people out there that have the answers and if you only get your answers from the latest style maker or just one news source and news outlet um i hate to tell you this but that's a bad idea (laughs) i know that sounds very self-serving um Here's the here's another headline to get out of this rabbit trail because we've already spent about 15 minutes on it. <laughs> um, and this one scares me, Kayleen, because this is one of the first um, first reports we've had out of the 2019 season that just was gosh awful. Uh, so CHS is one of the largest farmer cooperatives in the United States. They reported that their first quarter um, fiscal year 20 net income report, Kayleen, was $177.9 million. That sounds incredible, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. Same time, same quarter, same everything. Last year, their uh, net income was $347.5 million. That's down almost half. That's terrifying. Yeah. And... And that's a bellwether for what it's like out here in farm country. So when we say that farmers are hurting 
and we say things like they're they're hurting because of trade wars. That shows you right there. If CHS, which is one of the largest farmer cooperatives, and they move a lot of grain, Kayleen, a lot lot. of grain. If their earnings are down or their income is down that much, it's because they can't move the grain. Um, When we say things like the weather was was a kicker in the pants, not only did we have flooding, massive flooding, flooding that lasted for months and people yeah. couldn't get in the fields, repeated flooding. Well, and then they couldn't, if they did get in their, the field and got their crop planted, they couldn't get in it to get it harvested. There's still guys trying to harvest their corn and soybeans from last fall. Yeah. This is January. That They should not be out in the field with a combine in January. No, the combine should be in the shed getting worked on. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is this is the effect of just 2019 was the year from a very very dark and hot place. <laughs> so um, the saving grace for that for uh, for CHS was propane sales, and you know why propane sales were the saving grace? Propane is one of the things you use in grain dryers. Yes, <laughs> which is how we make sure that the grain can be stored. So um, all that said, it's. 2020-ish is going to be a good year, Kayleen. I believe 2020 is going to be a good year. It better damn well be. (laughs) (laughs) The first week didn't start out as a good one, but I firmly believe that we are in in for a good decade. And um, I tell you what, I, I wish you all out there that are listening the very best of luck for 2020. And, um, if you've got a comment or a thought, Uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you think about these topics. Uh, You can always reach us at hpjtalk at hpj.com or you can call us at 1-800-452-7171. Just drop us a line. And do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Alrighty, in this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the January 6th print edition. Um, Then we're going to have a chat with copy editor Jennifer Thewer about her story on cattle genomics. And as always, Kayleen's going to wrap it up with the markets. The wind and ice are brutal, but uh, those cattle, they got to be fed, right, Kayleen? Sure do. So why don't you hop in the cab, turn up the heat, and ride with us here on HPJ Talk. Inside the January 6th print edition of High Plains Journal, you'll find coverage of the Delta Pine New Product Evaluator Summit in New Orleans recently uh, from field editor Lacey Newland. The NPE program has been connecting growers with bare cotton breeders since 2007 when the first Bolgard II Extend Flex products were released. Currently, 204 growers are enrolled in the program and they give valuable feedback to cotton breeders about how those experimental varieties perform on larger size trials of 20 acres or more and in real world settings. Editor Dave Bergmeier shares the headlines we love to read in the editorial spot this week on page six. We have a word on Congress's pat on the back from Seymour Clearly, and Dave brings us a book review of Eccentric Kansas Tales from Atchison to Winfield. And Kayleen, you were over at the Kansas Livestock Association Convention in December, and we have an update from a livestock health update from Justin Smith, KDA Division of Animal Health Commissioner. 
And we can't forget to mention that the debut of our new insert catalog came out in this issue, just in time for some of you out there thinking about those spring bull cells. So look for those stories and more online anytime at hpj.com. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, or there's a local topic you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. Or call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. This week in the studio, we have copy editor... Jennifer Thewer talking about her story, More Than Meets the Eye. Jennifer, tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea for the story. Well, I came up with the idea for the story because my dad has used expected progeny differences for decades. Uh, He started out when it was only weaning weight, yearling weight, things like that. And I have watched the field of EPDs grow and expand so much in the last 15, 20 years that it's just always been an interest for me. So when I signed up for that. (laughs) You might explain to our listeners what an EPD or an expected progeny differential is. An expected progeny difference is what a certain bull or a certain dam, which is a female cow, will contribute to their offspring. So if you have a low birth weight bull, his calves are going to be smaller Mm -hmm. at birth than a high weaning weight bull. Or high birth weight bull. Thank you. (laughs) I knew that didn't sound right. And so an expected progeny difference just kind kind of lays out a roadmap for a producer as far as what his calf crop is going to be like. And so if you are looking to produce a set of calves that are more uniform in size, because then you can sell them as a whole instead of two or three at a time, because you have some that weigh 300 pounds, you have some that weigh 500. If they all weigh the same, then you can sell them all at once. And the buyers at the sale barns like that more. It's kind of like if I was... um... If you're looking at a crop of, uh, let's just say, male swimsuit models, for lack of a better term, okay, Um, the EPD is just a number rating. Um, Yeah. This one, if it, if, if, for example, if this bull has a plus one, that means that he's going to have, he's got, he's more likely to have low birth weight than this bull that has a negative one, let's just say, uh, as, you know, throwing that out there, kind of like that? Yeah. Okay. So we've been using EPDs for, gosh, 30 years, 40 years? Ken Anderson with with Zoetis kind of dates it back to the early 90s. So yeah, that would be 30 years. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So yeah, 30 years at least. And and I really should ask my dad about how he came to start using them because that's the only way I remember him picking bulls mm-hmm. is he would get the sale catalog and he would study that thing religiously and he'd pick out the 
the numbers he liked. And then when we went to the sale, he would pick out the one based on the numbers and based on what it actually looked like when he saw it. Because before APDs, we only had to rely on looking at a bull or looking at a, at a heifer or a cow and deciding, hey, that one you know, looks more uniform. I like how that one stands. That one looks like it's got more finish, more, you know, and more finish means more marbling. Um, that cow looks like she would ha- be an easy calver, kind of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And we had that developed over years of cow sense from cowboys. Yeah. So this story, you talk about genomics. Now, genomics are building off of EPDs. Is that right? Is it the next step from EPDs? How, what are genomics and, and how can we use them today? Genomics is basically just a fancy word for genetic evaluation. And that I drew exactly from Kent Anderson of Zoetis. And basically it's taking a lot of genetic information and using and looking at it all at once is and it and genomics and genetics really is a little bit of an interchangeable term it's genomics is just a broader view of genetics so because we've had more research into livestock and their genetic makeup we probably know exactly what genes are responsible now for traits like marbling um, traits like calving ease or low birth weight or high weaning weight all of these traits that actually translate to money to cattlemen's pocketbooks, right? That is correct. So was there something, an APD or some trait that you guys just discussed that was real interesting to you that kind of made you think, oh, hey, maybe I ought to go back and talk to dad and see if he knows about that? Well, my dad has kind of moved to the point where he's not buying the genetics like he used to. Um, He's sort of semi-retired he has a gentleman that takes care of his cattle for him and he kind of has left those decisions to him and so really the one trait that I thought was interesting is days to harvest Uh, I visited with Matt Spangler from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln and he says that they are doing genetic evaluations for how long a calf will take to get to a certain weight and how many days it will take a calf to get to that harvest point where the packers are looking. And so to me, that means that those cattle will be using less natural resources to produce the same amount of meat that cattle in the past have taken longer to get to. And so producers can then tailor their operation to how many days it's going to take their cattle to finish in the feedlot rather than just feeding them all and hoping for the best. So again, translation, because <laughs> um, we have a lot of listeners that may not understand the cattle feeding industry and, and why this is important. But if you've got calf A that will take 90 days on feed and reach 1,500 pounds. And you've got calf B that will take 120 days on feed and reach 1,500 pounds. That's an extra 40 days on feed per se um, of feed going through that animal, water going through that animal, that animal taking up space in your feedlot. So you're not turning over that pen. Instead, you're spending time feeding that animal 
to the same weight that you would a more efficient animal that has used less feed, less water, um, less time in the feedlot to be finished to a weight, right? That's correct. So that actually translates better into um, the same amount of beef, less environmental impact, I would imagine. That is correct. A smaller carbon footprint. I see. I see. Um, But now if I'm somebody like, well, Kayleen, you and your husband, you raise cattle and and you take them to the sale barn, you're developing your reputation. Genomics sounds like it would be something that could help you guys build your reputation among the cattle buyers. Yeah, it it could be something uh, that can help us select bulls. Like the last few years, we've leased bulls and they've had some EPD information on them, but we're just getting started. We're trying to pay for the cows, so we're going to have to try a little harder to find something that fits the set of cows that we have. So maybe uh, we'll have to do a little more investigating when it comes to the, the genetic information that's available to us. I just remember when my dad was taking cattle to the sale barn, if Latsky was in front of those cattle on the on the sale bill, it brought a different kind of buyer than it, if they had no name in front of them at all. And mostly that was a reputation of a herd that had been several generations in the making. So I imagine if you're a cattleman starting out or midway through your career and you're using genomics to improve your herd with all of these um, traits that will allow you to have a more efficient animal on feed, I imagine that buyers, once they start figuring that out, would gravitate and build up your cattle a little bit more, right? That is the that is the hope, yes. And Dr. Spangler did point out also that for a commercial cattleman who maybe doesn't have a set breed, mm-hmm. it's best to look at the dominant breed in your herd and then go to that breed association because a lot of the breed associations now have economic indices to kind of base your base your your research off of. And so they can use the economic indices of the dominant breed in their herd to kind of make help plan out their choices. He did say though that he is working with Bob Weber from Kansas State University on an online economic indices tool that isn't breed specific but it's 18 months to two years out of the out of range they are working on it though so this may be a a question that you may not may, may not be able to answer you didn't have the opportunity but so is there a different spot on the genetics of each breed that maybe has a factor for something like um a trait like low birth weight is is it a is that genetic spot different per breed or like between an Angus and a Hereford or is it the same across Boss Taurus cattle? I don't know as it's so much different. I think it just depends on the bull okay. and it depends on the, the dam. And so I didn't dive into the how the economics part of it would work in. Like I said, my dad just based on one or two factors and so I really haven't had any experience with that, but I think it would be something worth looking into. I think they probably differ a little bit, but it's probably not a huge amount. Jennifer and I were on a judging team in college, and there was a lot of times when you had the EPDs like on a set of bulls, and sometimes you'd look at the EPDs and you'd look at them phenotypically standing there in front of you, and 
the genetics would help you decide how to place the class. And to me, it's I've been out of the, the judging for, for a long time, and so consequently out of the EPD information. So, you know, if we're going to go find a bull, my husband and I, maybe we both need to educate ourselves a little bit more about the EPDs and see what's out there as far as that goes. And it can help us decide if we do decide to eventually go buy another bull. So back when I was in college, having the EPDs help me place a class sometimes when I just could not decide between one or the other the way they looked on the hoof. And I have seen my dad look at a bull and say, well, I really like his numbers, but his head is ugly. And he completely pushes him out of the way. He's like, no, I do not want to look at a set of calves with that face for the next three or four years. And so really it kind of comes down to personal preference because the next guy that walked through that pen might've really liked that bull. Mm -hmm. And he might've had numbers that offered something to his cattle that he wanted, but it just, the phenotypic part of it just came right down to it. And I'm like you, Kayleen, I haven't been, like I said, exposed to EPDs in years either. And so this has really been kind of fun to do. So when you were talking to Dr. Spangler, it's it's very odd to call him Dr. Yes, Spangler because yes, yes. <laughs> we all know him when he was just Matt. Well, yeah. <laughs> but um, when you were talking to Dr. Spangler, um, what are they talking? And you you mentioned that there are um, economic indices. So are we starting to see the breed associations and are we starting to see the cattle associations really kind of um, work towards marketing cattle based on these genomic traits? Are there are there bigger pushes to make improvements in, in herds? I guess how to market cattle better is, is what I'm going for versus your, your regular commodity cattle. Hey, these just came off of grass. They're ready to go, et cetera, et cetera. Versus, hey, these were specifically bred with the endpoint in mind. Really, the economic indices is more for the commercial producer. Okay. And so that is basically making seed stock decisions for them. The seed stock producer are the ones that use the individual EPDs. And so when the producer, the commercial cattleman, looks at the economic indices, he's basically looking at how to put more dollars in his pocket and how to select cattle to do that. And really, I think if you can take some of that information and pass it on to you know, the livestock auction that you take your cattle to or the buyer that you're marketing to, then you can tell them, hey, this is the numbers I have on these cattle. This is what should be happening. And that gives the buyers more confidence and the sale barn manager more confidence. And he may talk up your cattle more as they come through the ring. So this all depends on a good auction barn, right? And a good auctioneer. It does depend on a good auction barn and a good auctioneer. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for um, reporting on this. This was kind of fascinating to remember all that that one class in animal livestock genetics 20 years ago. That was awesome. I think I got a C in it, so I hope I did good today. (laughs) But thanks so much for for coming and sharing. And I'm really excited because I hope that we can um, expand more on topics like this and others 
at our Cattle U coming up this summer, our second annual Cattle U. I can say annual now, Kayleen. Yes, you can. <laughs> You've had more than one. Finally. <laughs> so um, our second annual Cattle U will be at the end of July in 2020. It'll be here in Dodge City again. Um, we hope to have a, a slate of speakers that can talk about genomics, um, talk about uh, using the latest and, and greatest things to help cattle producers do more with less. Um, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And don't forget, if you want to um, catch up with Jennifer's story, you can always look at it online anytime at www.hpj.com. <laughs> Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Egg Resources on December 31st. Corn was down at $3.73. Wheat was up at $4.33. Milo was down at $3.23. And soybeans were up at $8.30. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the Soil Health U preview issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes January 13th with a story from our web editor, Shauna Rumbaugh. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends.